Let us pray. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray simply this morning that you would be near to us, that you would reveal more of your heart to us, and that you would show us your power over the darkness in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in our next installation on our Unshakable Hope series here, and today we're talking about the problem of evil in our world, and there is no 15, 20, 30, 50, 100-minute sermon that could really answer all of the problems for you. So, but we do have the problem of evil, and as Christians, we need to know how to get through that reality, how to fight that reality, how to have hope in the midst of that reality. So nobody would argue that the fa- with the fact that there's evil in our world today, right? Nobody would argue with that, probably. Our very ability to define something as good and something as evil points to some hardwired reality in our existence that we were created for something more than our current struggles. There's evil in nature, that's for sure. Nature has fallen, and we even contribute to the brokenness that is nature in many different ways. We don't steward it the way God intended us to steward it. Nature itself is kind of thrown off kilter because of the reality of sin in the world, ever since the fall in Eden. And there's evil in humanity. We can't dispute that people can also be evil or act in evil ways, right? We have politicians, right? We have arrogant, power-hungry people that are always striving for more power, and they don't care what the means are that they have to take to get there. And we have evil cultures. We have evil societies. We have a world that is constantly at war. We have societies where some are oppressed and beaten down, where others are exalted, where people pick who, who gets to be valuable and who isn't worth anything or at least they think so. We have cultures that stomp out any worldview that doesn't match that of the leadership, that doesn't match those of, in power, and we even see a lot of these influences um, in our own society here in America. We are not immune from this battle. We are not immune from the effects of sin and evil. So we're not here today to prove that there's evil in the world, because I think we're already on that page, right? But when it comes to the source of that evil, or the cause of that evil, even Christians seem to be a little bit all over the place with their understanding. Um, It's fascinating that a Barna study that's already 10 years old, 2009, revealed that most Christians, the majority of Christians, do not firmly believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exists. These were Christians polled. And as a pastor, yes, that's troubling, okay? I hope those numbers aren't reflected in our congregation, but if they are, I hope that can change a little bit today. So 40% of Christians responding to this survey strongly believe that Satan is just a metaphor for evil. And only 35% of Christians strongly believed on the other end of the spectrum that Satan is a real force or authority. I was, I was kind of mind blown by that, but... But I grew, up, I grew up in a church and with a family that did believe these things. So I was taught these things. Not everybody had the same experience that I had growing up. So even in Christianity, we see differing positions. And there's no wonder that churches can split over many different issues. No wonder that churches can often be misled 
or, or maybe be ineffective in the ministry of the gospel if we're not acknowledging the reality of the evil and the force behind that evil in our world. So today we're going to do a couple of things, but first, I think we want to build a biblical case for the existence of Satan. Here at Emmanuel and, and in the Christian church at large, um, we need to be putting a lot of belief in the scriptures. This word of God that God has passed down from generation to generation, out of all the historical texts that we have in our midst today, nothing has withstood the test of time better than the scriptures. We have hundreds, we have thousands of manuscripts and copies, some going very, very early back towards the time that they were written, and we can have a firm confidence that the scriptures are accurate in this area. We believe that if God can create you and me, if God can save us from our sins, then he can get some words on paper to reflect his heart. It's really not that big of a task for God to reflect who he is in the scriptures and do so in, a, in an accurate way so that we can know God's love and God's heart for ourselves. So we're leaning on the scriptures for our, um, this case that we are building for Satan's existence. And there's many different ways. First, we see it in Genesis 3, in the garden. We see the serpent driving a wedge between God and humanity. Humanity were the creatures that made creation very good, and not just good. But we are deceived. The, 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 the tempter, the serpent, is tempting us to try and be like God instead of worshiping and trusting God. There's our first, third chapter of the Bible, there is the existence of Satan, okay? And then the Ezekiel text that we heard earlier, we see this prophet describing a fallen angel who was in Eden, who, dwelt, who had dwelt with God on the mountain of God, who was anointed, who was blameless before pride and violence took over. Many of the prophecies we have in the Old Testament, they were about that time, but they were also timeless, Meaning that this is a prophecy referring to a king of the time, a ruler, but it is also very much describing Satan himself. It's the same reality who was there in Eden, who dwelt with God, who was beautiful and anointed, yet pride and hatefulness took over and caused him to be expelled and cast away. And then we have the book of Job in the Old Testament. We have this very much active deceiver challenging God and challenging God's loyal people. Some believe also that the book of Job is just a metaphor and not an actual story. I think the, the purpose of it, whether a metaphor or an actual story, is that Satan is real. That's what I'm going to take away from it. And there is this force opposing those who are trying to follow God and to honor God with their lives. And then in our gospel text today, in Matthew 4, um, Jesus wasn't tempted for 40 days in the desert by nebulous negative thoughts. He was tempted by something very real. We see Satan as a tempter of Jesus himself, and he would like nothing more than for God's son to find fault, to do something wrong, to make a misstep. I believe he was wasting his time. That didn't happen. And something that's also really important is to consider the faith that Jesus was a part of. Jesus was not separate from the Jewish faith. He was not separate from God's chosen people. He was the Messiah for God's chosen people and for all other people as well. So Jesus, in his ministry, he did nothing to undermine the pre-existing 
theology and thoughts about Satan and about the devil that existed in the Jewish culture and still exist in the Jewish religion today. Jesus didn't rewrite those things. He didn't correct them. He didn't challenge them. His ministry treated devil and demons and evil as if it was a very real, tangible thing. The New Testament writers as well, especially Paul, who was also Jewish and who also had a very real understanding uh, and belief of an actual Satan and actual fallen angels that we call demons. And from this viewpoint, the early church is urged to honor and cling to God in the midst of a very real spiritual battle that is taking place amongst us on earth. Scriptures tell us that Satan is real. They tell us that he is a wedge-driving, deceiving, manipulating, tempting, and vile reality that we have to deal with as followers of God. If you are happy, Satan wants to steal it. He wants to steal your happiness. If you experience joy in God, he'll try to kill the joy through some way. If you're following Jesus, he will try to lead you astray. If you're struggling with addiction, he will defend addiction stronghold in your life because he doesn't want you to experience true life. If you want your marriage to honor God, the devil will do anything he can to drive a wedge between you, to destroy your intimacy, to convince you to lie to each other, and to shatter the covenant that you made with one another. There is a very real force working against us. So don't miss and don't dismiss the reality of the devil. Jesus didn't dismiss the reality of the devil, and neither should we. But neither should we become fixated on it. Neither should we become obsessed. If you want to go out and hunt demons and find one every, under every rock, eventually you'll believe you're finding one under every rock. We are never called to turn away from God and face the evil one on our own. We are never called to do that. Because here is what scripture always tells us. The devil's days are numbered. If the story ended where Satan ruled, if the story ended when Jesus died on the cross and there was no resurrection, we wouldn't be here today. That's just a reality. There would have been no witness of the early church. We would not be here today. If our current daily struggles with sin and with temptation and with the evil of this world were painted into a reality without the hope of Jesus Christ, we would be utterly depressed. But today I want to, I want to remind you that this evil and this pain and this suffering and this, even this force that is working against us to try to know God and live for God, it has an expiration date. Just like the old box of cereal in your pantry with that little code you can't make sense of. It has an expiration date. And we don't know when exactly that's going to be, but we know that it's done. That it's final. That that is the promise that we have, that God will win the victory. Scriptures tell us of a very real Satan. Scriptures also tell us of a very real Jesus. Jesus as the overcomer of Satan's schemes. We see it in the temptation story of Matthew. Jesus overcomes using the word of God. He uses truth. Satan doesn't want to hear truth. Satan doesn't know what to do with the truth. And then we see it in the cross. What Satan thought was a final victory for him against God, against humanity, ended up being the ultimate victory for Jesus. The ultimate victory. Defeating evil, 
defeating sin and even the power of the grave. And this is where this promise becomes a reality for us today. God showed through Jesus not just the power to overcome death, not just the power to overcome temptation, not just the power to overcome sin, but every single one of those things and all of those things in our lives today. It wasn't a fight Jesus just did to be the Son of God. It was a fight Jesus did for you and for me. And we are invited into this relationship with him where we never have to face these struggles apart from God's goodness and apart from God's power. See, it wouldn't seem like the best of promises if we had to just endure and suffer until a later date. The reality of evil being temporary does give us hope in eternal life. It does give us that um, expectation of paradise with our creator. But it also means that God's powerful work through the Holy Spirit has the power today to work to overcome evil and sin and temptation in our own lives and in our own families and in our church community and all across the world. So there's some good news in that. Here, here are a few scriptures that speak to this promise. Romans 16.20 says this, The God who brings peace will soon defeat Satan and give you power over him. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Referring to Satan as an actual being, referring to God's power and peace as being supreme. The God who brings peace will soon defeat Satan and give you power over him. Guess what? That's happening in the church. That's happening in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because 1 John 4, 4 says this, God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. We might lose hope sometimes, we might despair sometimes at the evil in the world, but guess what? God's power through us is higher than that. It's supreme. And when we learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, we learn to exercise that authority through the Holy Spirit over the evil. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now this one I have to point out. This gets misquoted a lot in our culture. God won't give you more than you can handle. There's two problems with that oversimplification. Uh, the first is it assumes that God is giving you all the junk. <laughs> That's not true because there's evil. There, there are forces working against God that often give you the junk, okay? But the context of this is not us overcoming the bad stuff and the temptation and the evil. It is the power of God in us through the Holy Spirit overcoming those things, okay? So God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear when our feet are firmly planted in Christ. There will be times we are tempted and we give into it, and that's not because we're terrible people. It means that there's still sin. There's still this reality. There's still this battle going on. But God will always give you the power to sustain you, and part of our lives in Christ is learning how to recognize that and walk with the Spirit in a way that we can overcome that temptation and that evil in our lives. James 4, 7 says this, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What did Jesus do in our Matthew 4 text to resist the devil? He gave him the word of God. He gave him the truth. It's the number one way that we can resist the devil in our lives. 
So resist the devil and he will flee from you. He doesn't want resistance and he doesn't want to hear God's truth because God's truth may remind him of his end. And then we have our Ephesians text from earlier, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We're talking about this full armor of God. All of these defensive mechanisms that we have in the body of Christ to protect ourselves from the evil that is in this world, to protect ourselves from Satan. And then we have this sword. We have this one offensive weapon, right? And that is the word of God. That is the truth that we see Jesus using and that we are encouraged to use again and again throughout scriptures. So those are some scriptures that speak a lot of life into our hopelessness when we do face hopelessness. When we, when we find ourselves in the midst of evil, it is sometimes hard to remember. But I encourage you to commit these to your heart. Memorize them if that's what it takes. Because we will need reminders every day of God's power. We will need reminders every day as we encounter temptation in our lives and sin And as we encounter evil all over the place, you can't go anywhere in this planet without experiencing something that is broken and fallen. But God is bigger than that. We have this unshakable God with an unshakable promise that God is going to win the victory. Not just the big victory, but the victory in your life as well. And every single little victory that leads up to that point. So where are you at with this today? Do you believe the scriptures? Do you believe the testimony that they give about a very real problem of evil and Satan in the world? Do you believe the scriptures when they say that God is bigger? God is more powerful than that evil and than that devil. He's more powerful than the sin in your lives. I believe it. I don't always remember it, but I believe it. So maybe today you have sin and evil in your own life, something that just continues to undermine and tear at you. I encourage you to grab a hold of this promise, to lean into God to this truth, to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. And and the reason we have a church community, to walk together through these things. And maybe even to practice the discipline of confession, of unloading some of these things that you're struggling with, putting them at the foot of the cross, and maybe even bringing a trusted friend or mentor in to walk with you in that struggle. Lean into these things, trusting that God has the power to conquer those issues that you face in your life, no matter how big, no matter how small. Or maybe today you don't, you don't have that little thing you're struggling with, it's gnawing at you, but you look at the problems of our world and you get depressed. If that's you, I encourage you to pray. God will change the world through your prayers and he will change your heart through your prayers. I encourage you to worship because worship takes your focus off of the broken and puts it on God the source of hope, the source of life. Another reason why we worship together as the body of Christ is because it orients us together on what matters most. It gives us an anchor. It gives us something to constantly return to and remember who God is and what God has promised. So pray and worship and dig into God's word. And don't just lament the evil that exists in the world today, but ask God how he can shelter you, but also ask God how you can engage and begin to fight that evil in Jesus' name.
There are no sidelines in this battle. We're, we're all a part of it as part of the body of Christ. And maybe today you just need a reminder that God has promised to make all things new. Maybe you've seen so much pain and so much death that you really do need that reminder of the final victory when Jesus comes and makes all things new. The battle that we take on as Christians is not hopeless. Rather, it is assured already that we are the victors in Christ and we are destined for an eternity of precious union with God. I think you can take this one to the bank, that God is bigger than the devil. This is a promise we must remember. God has defeated, God is defeated, and God will defeat Satan. We have evidence of it in scriptures. Hopefully you have evidence of it in your lives. If you are baptized into Christ, if you are following Jesus, well, there is some evidence right there. And there's something you can lean into. We are part of that promise. And we get to be part of the work in God's victory over evil. And we get to be part of the blessing that comes with it. And that blessing starts every moment that we have precious communion with our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every time we gather as the church, we are battling and we are conquering that evil. So think about these things today and remember where we fix our eyes. We fix them on God. We fix them on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we often lament about the evil that is in this world. We ask why. And when in the pain and the suffering it hits close to home, Lord, we we just don't know what to do with it sometimes. Lord, in a way, we thank you that this evil isn't completely our fault, that there is a force working against you, and Lord, we thank you for the promise that you are bigger, you are greater, that you are overcoming that evil in our lives today, and that you have put an end date, Lord. Whatever that may be, we have the assurance and the promise that this will not last forever, and that we have the invitation and the challenge as Christians to be part of the good, to be part of the Christ-centered, the Christ-honoring, proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ today. Lord, would our hearts be open to that gospel this morning, that you have died for our sins, conquering evil, and that you invite us into the resurrection, conquering death. Lord, we praise you for that, and we take heart this morning. Lead us with your spirit to engage this world with the good news of Jesus Christ, that God is the victor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.